This is the Ruby on Rails podcast, bandwidth for this show and all shows on 5x5 provided by Cashfly, the world's most reliable CDN. If you're in podcasting or any other business whose customers want content always available, give them the fast downloads they need with Cashfly. Imagine having your content a single network hop away from all your customers from NYC to Hong Kong. Eliminate CDN outages with Cashfly's solid 100% uptime SLA. Learn more at 5x5.cashfly.com. And now here's your host for the Ruby on Rails podcast, Brittany Martin. You're listening to episode 254 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. And as you heard, I'm your host, Brittany Martin. AWS announced Ruby as a supported language for AWS Lambda during Werner Vogel's keynote at AWS reInvent. Now it's possible to write Lambda functions as idiomatic Ruby code and run them on AWS. The AWS SDK for Ruby is included in the Lambda execution environment by default. That makes it easy to interact with AWS resources directly from your functions. Joining me today is Alex Wood, the software engineer working on the AWS SDK for Ruby and author of the AWS Lambda Ruby Runtime. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. And I am excited to kick off with your developer origin story. Yeah, sure. So I think in a lot of ways, I took the traditional path into being a programmer. I think I started messing around with programming at an early age and decided to go to university in a computer science degree. Although I guess my university path was a little bit less traditional because I originally started by going to Tulane University in New Orleans. That lasted for the most part about three days before Hurricane Katrina rolled in and then uh, ended up going eventually to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, great uh, computer science school, and uh, actually Amazon was my first job after graduating. That's amazing. And, How did that come about? Uh, just the, you know, interview on campus, interview in Seattle, uh, interviewed with a few companies, and then decided I wanted to get into inventory management. So. Back in my old days, pre-Ruby, it's possible that uh, if you go onto Amazon.com and something's out of stock, it might be, in some small way, my fault. And I apologize in advance. What a claim to fame. <laughs> um, and then uh, after a few years in that role, I kind of wanted something different. And there was an opportunity to work in open source, work in a dynamic language like Ruby, and... I jumped on that and I've been working on the AWS SDK for Ruby for a little short of six years now. Was it your choice to work on Ruby directly or was that a choice given to you? Was there basically a job outline for Ruby or did you get to choose what you were going to do? Well, when it got to the point of internally transferring with Amazon, I had a lot of choices as far as what I wanted to work on. and. We do have a number of SDK teams, uh, some of whom are you know, still hiring to this day. But uh, yeah, I, I, just, I was getting into Ruby uh, and I wanted to actually start to make that my job and what I worked on. So it was a very interesting transition from doing a bunch of uh, algorithms working side by side with PhDs in Java to uh, doing open source software in Ruby. It was a big change for me, but it's been a lot of fun. What originally drew you to the Ruby community? I think I really got into 
uh, Matz's vision for what Ruby programming would be like, the idea of a language designed to maximize programmer happiness and especially moving away from Java and a lot of the ceremony and boilerplate to you know, that feeling that you could take something that would take you a few weeks before and do it in a weekend. And the ability to bring that productivity was really exciting. That's great. I, I can definitely see that appeal. So what is a day in the life for you at AWS? I'd love to hear more specifically about your your work with the Ruby SDK. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that my emphasis and what I really, how I approach my work these days is as a sort of owner of the overall Ruby experience on AWS. So the SDK has been largely stable for a long time. We recently, as in last year, announced uh, version three of the Ruby SDK where we brought things like modular dependencies so that you just require the services you actually use or uh, you know, statically generated code, which makes it easier to debug and gives better thread safety properties. And uh, after, that, after that has become a stable product, a lot of what I've tried to find is where can the Ruby developer experience on AWS overall be better and better? And that's driven a lot of what I've worked on since then. And that's actually what drove me to uh, writing the Ruby runtime for Lambda. Very cool. And so do you spend a lot of time reading over issues, pull requests? I mean, how much community interaction are you seeing with the Ruby SDK? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, we definitely spend time looking at issues on GitHub, looking at pull requests. And uh, there's a lot also of just kind of keeping an eye on what people are saying about their experience using AWS or their experience developing generally in Ruby and kind of looking for where are those opportunities to make developers' lives better? So, you know, we'll go to conferences. And I mean, if you see me at a conference, like let me know what, what you enjoy, what's difficult for you, uh, what could we could do better. And you really never know when that's gonna turn into the next thing that I'm working on. That's awesome. So as you mentioned, um, you have worked on the AWS Lambda Ruby runtime. So can you tell us the origin story of why AWS decided to support Ruby? Yeah, I think it goes to generally how at AWS we uh, you know, drive our roadmaps and it really does come back to customer feedback and what we're being told. And I, I think the Ruby community has done a great job of making it very clear that this was something really important and you know definitely like I, I predicted that there would be a really strong response to us going and doing this from all the people coming up to me at conferences the petitions and you know sure enough i've been really thrilled to see that there's been a real positive response but i mean it, it was our biggest feature request and so i got the opportunity to go and make that happen and it was no hesitation how long has it been in the in the works for you uh, I started working on it uh, earlier this year. Um, you know, interestingly enough, and one thing that a lot of listeners may be interested in looking at as well is the fact that we launched the ability to bring your own runtime into AWS Lambda. 
And I actually recently appeared on the AWS podcast, which had an episode drop on Christmas Eve morning, I believe, where we talked a bit about what it's like to add a language to Lambda, because you could do that for essentially any language you'd want these days. And the initial development is actually quite simple. I think a lot of the effort I spent on it was trying to make sure that we captured the magic experience of Ruby where you know you write something and it just feels like it just works and your dependencies just work and the programming model makes sense because that's kind of what drew me to Ruby in the first place and I wanted to kind of keep the fidelity of that experience for people who are jumping over to using AWS Lambda for the first time. Well, I think that is so incredibly cool that the Ruby community really came together and was like very much requesting this feature. I know for one, we have a bunch of Lambda functions that we use at the Trust, but they're all um, written in Python. And so one of my things to do in the next couple of weeks is to rewrite them into Ruby, um, which I'm very excited to do. Um, yeah, excited so, to see how that goes. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be flawless. <laughs> but um, one thing that I wanted to point out is that you did say there were several avenues that people requested this feature. Do you recommend one, you know, if someone wants something from the SDK or a feature from AWS that might be Ruby centric, et cetera, what, what avenue do you have you seen be the most um, impactful that the community can take? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's all the above. Like if you are a large customer of AWS, like let your account managers know like what, just what you want in general. And that's one avenue through which we get feedback. Uh, we listen to, we, we try to read between the lines on what people are saying to support. Cause I think one of the interesting thing about feature requests is it doesn't always come in the form of this is what I want. And I know that this is what I want. Please make this thing. It's here is a problem I'm having. And then, you know, then we really try to figure out, let's understand what is the nature of this problem? What is the root of the problem? And then what is the product that someone wants? So, you know, sometimes I'll listen to the feedback of there's demand in the Ruby community for lighter weight web frameworks, which isn't directly a request for something like AWS Lambda, but it's a problem that Lambda solves very well. So, you know, it's kind of like another point to, this is something that people would find a lot of value in and it would help you solve real problems. And so I think just talk about what, what you'd like to see, talk about what could be easier to experience. I mean, there are a lot of major AWS people on Twitter and you can reach out to me or anyone in those product spaces. You can ask questions on the AWS forums, cut issues on GitHub with your feature requests, and we're, you know, we're listening on every front. That's fantastic. And we'll definitely have all those links in the show notes, listeners. So um, I'm very fortunate in the fact that the last three years I've gotten to attend AWS reInvent. And listeners, if you haven't been, it is an incredible experience. And if you have the, uh, the opportunity to go, absolutely take it just amazing workshops and information at that conference but um, one of the last days of the conference was the technical keynote and during it is when they announced uh, ruby support for lambda and i i was screaming with joy so <laughs> but i would love to ask and something that i think our listeners would be interested in what's it like to have a feature that you worked on announced to a conference of forty-two thousand attendees to be entirely honest it was a huge relief 
uh, maybe even a bit nerve-wracking as I waited to see how the response was. But the reason I say it was a relief is the hardest part was the fact that it was on Thursday and I arrived in Las Vegas for the conference on Sunday and I had to not, uh, you know, blurt it out. Uh, you know, because someone asked me like, oh, hey, you know, do you have any exciting Ruby announcements? And it's like, hmm, hmm. You know, <laughs> like you just so want to say, like, yes, yes, no, just just wait, it's almost there. But uh, you know, I've got to let the announcement come out in its proper time, and so I, I think the the hardest part for me was to you know wait and let it be that impactful announcement instead of just telling everyone I ran into. So in a lot of ways, it was a relief, but uh, it was real exciting. I mean. I definitely was listening. I've I've been following all of the responses to it, and you know we've already had another feature release to answer some of the initial feedback that I had gotten. So one of the biggest pieces of feedback I noticed early on was the story around, say, native extensions, mm -hmm. uh, dependencies in Ruby such as your Nokogiri and those where you have C extensions and the, the interesting thing about something like that is that those dependencies are platform specific. You don't get as much portability as a lot of other Ruby uh, gems. So like the SDK, you know, you install it and vendor it, you can move it to whatever platform and it's going to work just fine. But something like Nokogiri, if you install that on a Mac machine and then you move it over to an Amazon Linux environment on AWS Lambda, uh, as far as Ruby is concerned, the dependency isn't there. So the idea of providing an easy build experience for porting it onto the R Lambda platform became important. So we announced just before I went on vacation that uh, we added Ruby build support to the AWS SAM CLI. Oh, that's great. Which is a CLI tool to help build serverless applications. So, you know, that was one of the first big pieces of feedback that I was getting. And we tried to move quickly to make that experience even better. So that's kind of what I've been watching for. And that's kind of been my professional world for the last few months. That makes a lot of sense. And that actually goes into the next question that I was going to ask you. So how can our listeners get started with Ruby for Lambda? Yeah, totally. So there's a few ways to jump right in and do it. So you can log into the AWS console, go create a new Lambda function, and you've got the Ruby 2.5 dropdown right there. Uh, there's a Cloud9 editor built directly in the console. And, you know, I've honestly, you know, written a few functions that way. Like I've written some Alexa skills and IOT button integrations, and I just, you know, open up the console and just start writing. And you do get like the AWS SDK there right out of the box. You don't have to do any dependency management. So that's a great way to try it and mess around a bit. If you look at the introductory blog post, there's even an example from a solutions architect that I worked with about, uh, you know, porting Sinatra over on AWS Lambda as a demonstration of ways to deal with dependencies and packaging that and working locally and deploying. So you can follow that process. Uh, you can also use the AWS SAM CLI, which has the ability to initialize and create a new project. You can build it, including with container builds for native dependencies. You can test with local invocations, like it can spin up a local Lambda environment that simulates the deployed environment for things like 
you know, it'll even kind of give you like an API gateway like experience if you're building a web app locally and handles some of the packaging and deployment. So we've definitely got a few ways, whether it's doing it directly using the AWS SAM CLI or using the console. Very cool. So one question that I wanted to ask you is um, AWS offers so many different services. It's, it's so cool each year at reInvent just hearing all the different services that are getting announced. I think we recently inventoried our own app and we're using, I think, 29 services at this point. And that's probably awesome. just, just a fraction of how many are out there. And so this is a Ruby on Rails podcast. And so most of our listeners are working either in Ruby or Rails and they're, they're working on production scale web applications. So outside of Lambda, what is the one AWS service that you feel the Ruby on Rails community has yet to discover how useful it is? Sure. Well, one thing I would want to add, too, is that I think that a lot of people look at AWS Lambda as, oh, here's a way to do lightweight web frameworks. But, you know, I really enjoy using Ruby on Rails and it's a great experience. And that is totally great. And there are services like... Uh, AWS EC2 Container Service, ECS, and uh, Fargate, which are great for doing Rails deployments. And another nice thing to think about when it comes to Lambda is you can absolutely use it as a you know, microservice that's augmenting your existing Ruby on Rails application. So maybe you have uh, an authentication system that you keep in Lambda and keep separate from your Ruby on Rails application, or you do you know, event management, delayed jobs, and you can do things like that through SQS, Lambda, and so on. So one thing to keep in mind is it's not a all-in-column A or all-in-column B thing. You can use Lambda. You, you could use it as a lighter weight web framework, but if you have a Rails deployment and it's working really well, uh, you can use that to augment. But uh, to, to answer your actual question on, uh, you know, a service that may be underrated by the community, uh, one thing that I really took out of the keynotes that we had this year at AWS reInvent was the idea of purpose-built databases. And I think there's a lot of really interesting opportunities there to write resilient and scalable applications. So AWS DynamoDB has been around for a long time, but it's very interesting and you know I look at how we build things internally within AWS and there were some great talks about that at reInvent as well but an interesting thing about like why have relational databases been popular for so long and what does something like DynamoDB offer in comparison uh, one thing to look at for example is that a lot of what drove relational databases was the cost of storage storage was very expensive so denormalizing your data was very important and uh, have, you know, the relational databases may be more CPU expensive, but Absolutely. storage was expensive, so it made sense. But nowadays, storage is cheap and relatively speaking, CPUs are expensive. So the trade-offs of something like a DynamoDB where you might not have a denormalized data model, but you're going to be much more CPU efficient can actually be a better story for building your applications. And we also have libraries built around that, such as AWS Record, to make that experience as easy as possible. I see that last library I hadn't heard of before, so that is something I'm going to have to check out. So I'm yeah, really glad I asked this. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have it in the show notes. Uh, another one that was just pre-announced 
that I think is going to be a very interesting one to keep an eye on. And I can kind of think of a number of uh, Ruby on Rails users that might end up finding this very useful is the uh, Amazon QLDB product, the Quantum Ledger Database. Can you tell us more about that one? Yeah. So what's interesting about that is from the perspective of a user, a lot of the interface is SQL-like. So you're keeping a relatively familiar experience. But under the covers, what's going on is that all of your transactions and state changes are kept on a immutable and cryptographically verifiable ledger. So in a lot of cases where you may have a need to be able to prove you know, what the change in state has been over time, you're going to have this very interesting ability to do this. So you can imagine, for example, that you are a you have to keep track of retail or supply chains or you know you're keeping track of you know in the sense of supply chains like you have a valuable product that's changing ownership over time or changing state location that kind of thing and it's very interesting to not only be able to have that sql like interface on the current state but you know perhaps you may have to prove that no no on this day we did this transaction and you know, in a relational SQL database, there's the question of, well, could someone have changed the database and changed its history and potentially, you know, you don't necessarily know that that happened in a lot of relational databases. The answer is yes. You know, an admin can go in and change its state. But if you have a cryptically verif cryptographically verifiable ledger of transactions, uh, you actually can prove through the chaining of, you know, cryptographic hashes that the transaction history is accurate. So no, I really did move that piece of supply from that location to that location recorded in the database on that date. So there's a lot of very interesting uh, use cases for that. And so I think that one of the biggest things we're going to start to hear more and more about in the years to come is purpose-built databases. And it plays really well both with AWS Lambda and with uh, Ruby on Rails users generally. Yeah, I really, I really like that definition and something that I'm going to have to look into because I had not heard that word before, but I think that's a really neat concept. And I agree, something that we're going to see more of from the community. So, um, Alex, how can our listeners follow you and the AWS Ruby team? Sure. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Alex W. Wood, and we'll have that link in the show notes. And, uh, you know, you can uh, I'll link to some of my teammates as well, and uh, you can uh, follow us on the AWS blog. Uh, we have uh, posts coming out every now and then to try to talk about different topics that are interesting to Ruby developers. And uh, definitely check out all of our different repositories on GitHub. Try it out. Give us feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear about all that. Yeah, and I, I think there's a number of products that are possibly worth taking a look at that we have. So we'll definitely reference all that. But, you know, I love to hear from any of my customers, anything good, bad, in between. Uh, I'm always uh, trying to keep my ear out for it. And yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Alex. Yep. Stay Thanks tuned. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Stay tuned for an episode next week.